Well, good morning. We are so glad you're here this morning. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you open up to Isaiah chapter 6 this morning. Isaiah chapter 6. Today, I thought it would be fitting as we send out seven high school graduates of what would it look like to see God's call on your life. Because graduates, correct me if I'm wrong, but a question you have been asked probably for the past two or three years, at least once a day, has been, what are you doing when you graduate? What's next for you? What are you going to study in college? And my prayer for you this year is not that you would have an answer based off of what you want to do, but rather your answer would be based on what God has called you to do. And we're going to see that in Isaiah chapter 6, that God had a specific calling for Isaiah. But before we get to this passage, I just have to know, anyone raise their hand if you remember life before cell phones? Okay. So the first, what they're calling cell phone was probably the bag phone because it's telling me 1973 on the internet and we believe everything the internet says. But what about caller ID, 1988? Who can remember before 1988 when caller ID? Okay, a few less hands. Um, I didn't believe that 1988 uh, year either. But any time before 1988, any time before caller ID, we actually had to answer our phones to figure out who we were talking to. Yes. And if we didn't want to talk to them... We had to answer it to figure out if we didn't want to talk to them or not. And then we just hung up on them. (laughs) Now, I have a green option and a red option. And if I don't know your number, reject. Not important to me. There's actually only, many of them are just scammers that want your money anyway. But uh, there's only two people in my life that 100% of the time I will answer their phone call. Two people. Tom, you are not one of them. I'm sorry. <laughs> one of which one of which is my father-in-law, and that's because I'll usually text him a question, and instead of texting me back, he calls me. Something about that generation they like to talk on the phone. Uh, and the other is... <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah. Thank you for that. It's too heavy for me, so... Um. <laughs> Good. And the other is uh, my wife. She can call me and I'm going to answer a phone call because 99% of the time it's not important to me, but it is important to her. Um, <laughs> I had permission to say that this morning. Uh, but there's many ways that Kelly will communicate with me. She will call me. She will text me. She will send me TikTok videos that apparently mimic exactly the things that she doesn't like about me. Uh, (laughs) But most importantly, and if you've been married for more than 90 days, you know this, she has this look. And if I see this look, I did something wrong. She can communicate uh, through that look. And in the same way, God can communicate to us in a lot of different ways. And he does not have to run it by a committee before he speaks to us. 
He used a donkey to speak to Balaam. So we can rest assured that he can call us in any way he wants. But the question we want to answer this morning is what do you do when God calls you? Do we answer him when he calls or do we press the red button and say, not right now, I don't want to hear it. So if you're with me in Isaiah chapter 6, I'll be starting in verse 1. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. I'm going to stop right there, set us some context for a minute. Uh, Before we get to the call of Isaiah, before we can understand the call of Isaiah, we have to understand what's going on uh, in Israel's culture. If we miss the context of Isaiah's call, we miss his call completely. See, the call of God comes to Isaiah in the year King Uzziah died. That's a detail we're always going to skip over because it doesn't really matter to us. But King Uzziah died in 740 BC, and he was one of Israel's greatest kings. There were questions. Is there going to be instability in the kingdom? Is there going to be, there's anxieties about the future. These things are coming upon the hearts of the people. What's next? And I think God chooses to call Isaiah in this time because he wants to reveal this to Isaiah. And that's the fact that because their earthly king may have died, but the king of kings was still on the throne and still working in people's lives. So that's our context as we keep reading. So in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings, with two he covered his face, two he covered his feet, and with two he flew, and one called to another, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory, and the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. First thing we see in Isaiah's call is this. That seeing God's call starts with seeing God for who he is. We cannot understand the call of God if we do not understand who God is. And Isaiah gets a glimpse of God. He sees God for who he is. He sees God's beauty. He saw him as holy. He didn't get to see him face to face. Just like Moses, he got to get a glimpse of God. It wasn't his fullness But it was all that man could see. But what we see for Isaiah is it was enough. He saw God and he saw the angels crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. What I think happens with us is we often get confused about the call of God on our lives because we take our eyes off of God himself. There's been so many times in my life where I was asking God, show me your will for my life. Show me what you want me to do with my life. Show me this thing. Show me who I need to marry. Show me uh, where, what college I need to go to. Show, show me the details. Tom will tell you that my detail-orientedness uh, kind of drives him crazy sometimes. Um, but he can deal with it. But, but God will tell us the same thing and say, no, the details aren't what's the most important. I want to know, are you going to see me for who I am? Do you know you can even make God's will an idol in your life? We talked about this a little bit in Sunday school this morning, about God's will can be an idol because we can be 
We can move from worshiping God to worshiping his will. God, I don't want you. I want your stuff. I want what you can give me. I want what you have for me. And we take our eyes and say, God, no more. Just God's stuff and just God's will. So here's what I believe Isaiah is getting to see God for who he is. And here's the reason. Because if we pursue God... Not only will we do his will, we will be his will because we are exactly in the presence of God, exactly what he has called us to. So if we'll just sit for a moment and we'll say, God, we're going to serve you. I don't know what that looks like. For you, it's going to look different than the person sitting next to you. But God, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to honor you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to spend time with you. I am going to seek you for who you are. And then I will let your will come to me in your timing and not mine. Uh, A way to illustrate this in high school uh, I played tennis and ran track, uh, two very lesser sports in this area of Texas. But it came down to my senior year playing tennis, and, and I had just played back-to-back three-set matches that all lasted two and a half hours. I was not seeded in the tournament. I was actually the lowest seed, and I'm now in the semifinals. You win this match, you can go to the regional championship. You have to win. And we split sets again and go to a third set. We're two hours into our match. And the reason I lost is this. The guy I was playing let the ball come to him. I would chase the ball all around the court before the next point. And it was tiring. And over the period of that three-and-a-half-hour match... He ends up winning, and I believe it was because he waited for the ball to come to him, and I was pursuing the ball at all costs. See, we need to learn to let God's call come to us. See him for who he is. We don't have to chase it. We just need to be obedient to see God's call. See, Isaiah was not looking for God's call. He was in the temple, and that's when God's call came to him. See, we always want to know the specifics, but God is most important He's most interested in us pursuing him. So ask yourself this question. Do you make it a habit to seek and love God regularly? If you do that, like Isaiah, you will see God high and lifted up. You will see Jesus on the throne. You won't see this little Jesus that you carry around in your pocket to grant you all your wishes. You'll see him high and lifted up for who he is. Second thing we see in God's call is that God's call forces us to see the sin and brokenness and forgiveness of the world. See, a true vision of God's holiness results in conviction of sin on the part of us sinners. And we will become broken over that sin and the sin of the world when we see God for who he is. Isaiah says, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the Lord, the King, the Lord of hosts. See, Isaiah knew when he saw God, two things came to mind. He saw his sin and he saw the sins of the world. See, when we see God for who he is, sin should become very obvious to us. We don't have any other choice. We see God as holy. It should cause us to see how unholy we are. It should be the natural, natural conclusion. But here's the deal. When we talk about sin, what are we quick to do? We're quick to talk about everybody else's sin. We're quick to talk about how other people are messed up, how other people have problems, how other people need to change things. 
and we don't ever look at the only evil in our hearts. Isaiah doesn't do that. He acknowledges his sin first. He acknowledges, I'm ruined. I am nothing compared to the holy God. Then he writes, verse 6, that the seraphim flew to me, having his hand a burning coal that had taken with the tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this face has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. By recognizing his own sin, God himself, in, in his presence and his holiness, purified Isaiah. Because Isaiah, when God calls, he recognized his own sin. And the grace of God is powerful enough to wash that sin away. So maybe you're in this room and and you've never heard that. Or maybe you've heard it a thousand times, but you've never applied that to yourself. Can I just tell you that that's exactly what the cross of Christ does for you and for me? Because when they nailed him to the cross, it should have been me. When they put that crown of thorns on his head, that should have been you. When they pierced his side, that should have been us. But God is always in the business of restoring people to himself. So when God calls, he will make you aware of his glory. Then he will make you aware of your sin. And then, and only then, are you able to see the, how lost the world is without the gospel. I don't know about you, but I think the world's pretty broken. Anyone want to agree with me to that? The world today is broken. This week I was doing research in my office, and Tom, I'm so thankful you weren't there because I started weeping in my office over some of these statistics. And you can ask Kelly, I don't cry very often, but when I do, it's pretty ugly. Research is telling us right now that one out of four babies conceived in the womb will never be born. For various reasons, but we all know what that major reason is. That should grieve us as a church. One out of two children come from single-parent homes, and out of those one out of two, one out of ten have parents that are either in prison or on drugs. That should grieve us. As sad as those two statistics are, this one is what got to me. There's only 47% of the languages spoken in the world that have any access to God's word. 47%. About 7,000 of the 17,000 known languages have any portion of the word of God. That should grieve our hearts as a church because that shows us that there is that large a portion of the world that is so broken, but they're not just broken, they're broken without no hope because they don't have the gospel in their own language to hear it, see it, understand it, and believe it. And without that, where is the hope for them? And I'm sure even in our own county, if you talk to Eric about the people that uh, warm helps and serves, he could tell you all kind of people that they meet that have needs Physically and spiritually. But the reality is our world desperately needs Jesus. Their sin is breaking them. They don't realize they're broken. If you build a puzzle 
and it's a thousand piece puzzle, you don't notice anything's missing until everything else is complete and you're missing one or two pieces. And then you start yelling at your kids who, who moved the piece or who dropped it on the floor through, you know, I didn't have those arguments in your house, just me. Okay. But they don't understand their brokenness because they don't, you got to tell them. We have to understand the brokenness of the world. But we don't need to be aware of everyone else's sins so we can get down from, uh, so we can get up on a holy soapbox and look down on people and tell them how bad they are. That's not the point. When God calls, he wants us to be aware of the sins of the world so that we can be agents of his reconciliation. We have to get down where the broken people are and live out the gospel. That is God's calling. That is God's call to Isaiah. So wherever God is calling you to do, whatever he wants you to do, he wants you to be aware of the brokenness of the world and he wants you to be aware that the gospel makes all things new. Third point. I like this one. That God invites us to join us. Verse 8. God invites us to join him. Verse 8. It says, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go before us? My translation, you ready to work? That's what God's saying. Are you ready to work? God is asking Isaiah, Are you ready? Let's go do something that matters. And I got news for you. Parents, how many of you wish your kids worked a little harder than they do around the house? I'm going to help you out for a moment. Work will not kill you. Okay? Work won't kill you. Break a sweat. Get up before the clock says noon when you're in college, seniors. Take the 8 a.m., Promise you'll thank me later at two o'clock when you can take a nap. But did you know that God even enjoyed, enjoyed work? Work is not a curse of the fall. There was work in the Garden of Eden before sin, and God Himself worked. How do I know that? Because God spoke creation into existence for six days, and on the seventh day, He looked back and said, That's very good. Translation Look what I did. I'm pretty awesome. Look at that. Look at what I created. This is awesome. See, it's arrogant when we say we're awesome. It's not arrogant when God says he's awesome. It's just right. God invites us to work with him because the Lord has a mission and he's already working it out. God's already doing work. God's already saving people. He doesn't need us to go to a foreign country and preach the gospel. He's appearing to people right now of other faiths and dreams. Jesus is just appearing in their dreams, showing himself for who he is. Because that's all he has to do. All Jesus has to do is show himself for who he is for people to respond to him. Think about your own testimony. Think about your own salvation. How did you respond to Jesus? Tell you, I responded to Jesus because I saw that he was holy and I was not. And I needed a savior. God invites us to join him. God invites us to work. See, God would be a really terrible God if he showed you all the brokenness in the world and then said, doesn't that suck? Yeah, it does. Well, what are we going to do about it? I don't know. I'm open for ideas. If that's your idea of God, that is a terrible idea of God. Because God sees the brokenness and he's already at work. And he's saying, do you want to join me in what I'm doing? See, God will always invite us to help him. 
and be part of pushing back the darkness with the light of the gospel. That's why you're here. That's why you've lived as long as you've lived. As long as you're breathing, you have a mission that God has given you, and you have a job to be done for the work of the gospel. So this is an invitation for us. When God whispers your name, when he invites you to join something, when, when he, he gives you signs of this is what you're going to do, when he has people tell you things that you would never think you'd do that, but people say, I think you'd be really good at that. Maybe that's the voice of God saying, go. Now, not every voice you hear is a voice from God. We understand that, right? Some people are just crazy. Anybody got some crazy in the family? You don't listen to what that, per, that aunt or that uncle says because they're just straight up crazy. I'll tell you, in college, I had a, a professor tell me that uh, God told him that I would never be married because he wanted me to devote my whole life to ministry. And I'm like, nope, don't receive that. I want to ha- be married. I want to have kids one day. That is a desire that God has put in my heart. And unless he changes that desire, that's what will happen because he placed that desire in my heart. So there are people that are crazy. But oftentimes God sends people to tell you things so that you can understand his call for your life. And lastly, to see God's call, God's call allows us to respond. This is what I love about God. He doesn't force us. He doesn't twist our arm. He doesn't say, if you don't do this, I'm going to ruin your life. Verse 8 and 9. Whom shall I send? Who will go before us? Isaiah speaks up. Then I said, here I am. Send me. Isaiah says, I'm here. I'll go. I'm here. I'll go. That's the only thing he says. I'm here, God. I'll go. He doesn't even know what the mission is yet. He told God yes before God ever told him what he was going to do. I didn't move anyone in this room. Let me try that again. (laughs) Isaiah didn't know the call. He just knew that God was good and he was sending him. That should encourage us because we don't have to know the details. We just have to know the God who sends us. God will call you at some point in your life. God's call will come. He will call you to something. I was 14 in eighth grade and and told God I'd preach the gospel for the rest of my life. I have a clue what I was saying. I didn't. And I'm really glad that in that moment, God did not show me the next 10 years, which would put me right here today. I'm glad God didn't show me all the details. Because so many times I'm like, God, just show me the detail. Uh, My calculus teacher is here and... uh, I pray, I, that's a true story, I never told her this, um, but I prayed, God, why in the world am I taking calculus? I don't need it. But lo and behold, my freshman year of college, when my roommate was struggling with calculus, I was able to help him with that and share the gospel with him. That's why. That's why. But I didn't know all the details. I didn't know that a doormate of mine would die on his honeymoon didn't know that high school friends would desert me for my faith. Didn't know that I'd have to leave a church that I loved to serve in. Didn't know that I would preach for three years before I ever saw a single soul saved. I didn't know that I would have two college breakups because they didn't want to be in ministry. 
Sometimes, by God's grace, he hides those things from us. All he wants to know is, will you go? I'm sending you, will you go? And Isaiah's response is, I'm here, I'll go. Here I am, send me. Doesn't matter, the job, doesn't, it doesn't matter. Yes, Lord, I'll go. And in verse 9, here's God's response. At the end of the passage, God says, go and say to the people. Now, you can keep reading if you want, but I'm going to stop right there. Because it doesn't matter what God says after that. What matters is, are we obedient to go? I don't care what it says. Because Isaiah's, if you know anything about the book of Isaiah, he goes and he preaches to people who harden their hearts and don't repent. Who wants to sign up for that ministry, right? We want to sign up for the ministries. We're baptizing people every Sunday. We're we're leading people to Jesus every 14 minutes. That's the ministry we'd sign up for if I can guarantee that to you, right? The ministry Isaiah signs up for is the hardening of hearts. But it goes anyway. So I don't know what God's calling you to be. I don't know what God's calling you to do. But you do. Because God's voice when he speaks is unmistakable. It's unlike any other voice you can hear. You cannot deny the voice of God. You can try, but you won't succeed. Maybe God's calling you to be a local politician to change the game. Maybe God's calling you to be the next school teacher who saves a child out of a life of drug addiction and poverty. Maybe God is just calling you to marry a godly man, a godly woman. Maybe God's calling you to a third world country and says, right now, as soon as I walk out of the sanctuary, I know for the longest time God has said, you need to go do this, and I've rescinded that. Maybe it's time for you to say, no, I'll go. I'm here, I'll go. Maybe God's call for you is to be a stay-at-home mom. Maybe God's call for you is to be a stay-at-home dad and raise your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. God is calling you to something that only you can do. If somebody else would do it, if somebody else could do it, he wouldn't have needed to create you. But God has a specific thing that he created you to do. You're not an accident. You're not. I don't care what your upbringing is. I don't know. I don't care what your struggles are. You are not here by accident. God has called you to something very, very specific that only you can do that he wants to use you for. So let's today respond like Isaiah and say, I'm here, I'll go. And ask our worship team to come back up as they lead us in a final song. But in a room this size, I know that God is calling some of you. I know that God is telling you something. I don't know what it is, but I know that God is completely capable of showing you. For some of you, and I want to take care of two of these calls right now, Uh, before we stand and respond to God's word. Some of you, God is calling you to repent of your sins and be saved. You've fought it. You've argued with God. You've given him every excuse while you won't surrender and be saved. Maybe today for you, today is the day where you say, God, I've seen you for who you are. I need you. 
to be the Lord and Savior of my life. If that's you, as soon as we stand and sing, make your way forward. Tom and I would love to share with you how you can do that. Maybe for some of you, there is a kind of ministry that God is calling you to. And you're fighting it. Saying, God, you're not going to use me for that. I don't want to do that. God, I, 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 I. Maybe today for you, you hear the voice of God and you say, I just need to surrender. Maybe God's calling you to repent of some sin. Maybe God's calling you to end a bad relationship. I don't know. I don't have any idea. If you do, don't blame anyone else but God. Maybe God's calling you to forgive somebody. Maybe God is calling you to give something away. I don't know, but you do. Because when God calls, his voice is unmistakable. So if you need to respond to the call of God in any way, Tom and I will be at the front. Let's pray together. As soon as I say amen, you stand and you come and respond to whatever God is calling you to do. Father in heaven, we do thank you for the opportunity that we had to gather together as your church, as your chosen people, royal priesthood, Father, as First Peter tells us, God. I've got to pray for anyone in this room that, that hears your voice, God, that they would be willing to respond and they'd be willing to respond immediately, Father. So God, as we continue to worship, God, as we sing, oh, come to the altar, God, may that be the heart of us, that we would come and that we would respond, God. And may no one leave this place tonight without saying, yes, Lord, I'll go. God, will you make that the heart of who we are? We pray this in your name. Amen.